Welcome to Mox TV Talk, the podcast where we take a loving, longing look at TV and tell you this week, American actor Dick Van Patten passed away. Known as an 80s sitcom staple with a comedic bent, uh, he was the consummate dad in the 80s with 8 is Enough as well as a regular guest on a number of shows like The Love Boat and King Roland from Mel Brooks's Spaceballs. His passing finally proves for Dick, 86 is enough. Since the dawn of time, man has searched far and wide for the best things on TV. What to watch. How to watch. Who's watching what. Free to wear this. VPN that. Plug in and listen to what other people think about what you are and are not watching. It's Mox TV Talk, the podcast, with your host, Steve Mock. Joining me this week, a man who has entertained crowds for over 20 years in venues around Australia, firstly as one half of the Bunter Boys, then as a solo performer, known for his fine work a long time ago on Weekend Triple M with Charlie Pickering and Terry Siakas, and his splendid walk-on roles in The Librarians and Upper Middle Bogan. He's the host of one of the smartest comedy craft podcasts in Can You Take This Photo, Please? and co-host of one of the much-ignored podcasts, Hellier and Hammer Dig Flicks. He's an obsessive of modern film and TV culture. He has the best Star Wars Episode Seven plot theory going around <laughs> and a purveyor of fine laughs and considered by many in the industry as the modern comedy godfather of Australian comedy. It's Australian TV royalty, Justin Hamilton. The, uh, the, the Hello, godfather? Hamilton. I don't know about that. Hello, how are you? I don't. I don't know about the Godfather thing. I. I, I feel like that should be a. That's a. That's a Fleety thing, isn't it? Or isn't it a an Anthony Morgan or even a Rod Quantock thing? I still feel very. Uh, I guess I still feel pretty new when you see those guys floating about, don't you think? Like they've just been around for so long and established. That. I'd even say maybe Judith Lucy is. Uh, the, the queen godfather. Oh, look, I think that the maf- the comedy mafia in Australia has a, a broad remit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm a little captain of a small small group of people in the, you know, I, I'm, you know, like my, my posse's the shelf and, and, I've, got, and I've, got some, uh, I've got some contacts in Adelaide. <laughs> <laughs> oh, see, I disagree. Someone who's outside, and it might be different for those in, but I, I look at it and whenever you talk to comedians, they always talk about, oh, Hamo has got these great ideas or Hamo something or I ran it past Hamo or all of this sort of stuff. I, you, you get a lot more respect within uh, the industry, I think, than you're possibly willing to accept, young man. Oh, right. I have no idea. I, you know what? <laughs> as I get older as well, I honestly don't have any idea. I, I am becoming more reclusive as I get older mm. and I'm essentially turning into my mum. My mum finishes work, goes home, closes the door, and churns through three seasons of Friday Night Lights in a weekend. And I used to think, geez, that seems that seems a little bit full on. Don't you want to be out there and about? And as I get older, I think, I reckon my mum's right. I reckon this is the way to go. So <laughs> I've just had a couple of weeks off from performing and it's uh, I've barely seen anyone and it's been nice. But I think it's also, <laughs> not, in a, not in a nasty way, but I think it's because the job is so... Uh, dependent on what most people yeah. would say, hey, let, let's go out on a Friday night and catch up with our friends. That's kind of my job seven days a week. So then my idea of getting uh, a free Friday is, oh, my God, it's Friday night. I can stay in and wear tracksuit pants. 
And not drink, not have a drink. I could wake up on a Saturday and not be hungover. How good is that? Unprecedented. Yeah. That's what that is. Many people would say that's crazy talk. Yeah, I know. But I would have said it was crazy talk like six years ago. I would have said, ah, I will never be like that, he says, putting on his dressing gown. Ooh, and yet here cold. we are. <laughs> <laughs> that's how it's working out. So... Yeah. So, hello. It, look, we get the benefit of this being a, a very spoiler-free zone. Yep. I have uh, enjoyed this theory. Now, if you're pleased to share it, it would be wonderful to hear your your theory for how Episode 7 of Star Wars is going to play out because I just dig it so hard. Oh, right. Well, I'm, I'm not saying I think this will happen, but I think it would be kind of cool if it did happen. Uh, so, essentially... Mm-hmm. The the theory is that you know you bring them back, uh, you bring through you're introducing a lot of new characters, so they're going to be really important. They're going to get plenty of screen time. But with the older characters, yep. and I'm talking about the triumvirate of Carrie Fisher, Mark Hamill, and Harrison Ford, you you need to give those characters new purpose. You kind of can't like their purpose story wise came to an end with Return of the Jedi, so you have to repurpose them. So yes. with with Luke you know that he's gone off into the wilderness and become at one with the Jedi Force, and then you kind of get mm-hmm. the impression he's going to be called back because evil rises again. So, okay, that's there's there's some purpose there. Uh, Princess Leia, who I think kind of gets a little bit underestimated when we talk about uh, mm. female action heroes. Like we talk, you know, uh, correctly about someone like, uh, you know, Ripley, from the Aliens movies, and then you know this year, uh, Charlize yes. Theron and Mad Max. But I think uh, I think Carrie Fisher gets a little bit underrated as to how cool Princess Leia is. You know, from the from the moment that she gets saved by Han and Luke, she's already having a crack at one being too <laughs> short and the other one being an idiot. Uh, you know, so she kind of doesn't need saving in, in in her mind at least. But it's uh, but she's a fiery character. So with her, I'm, I'm guessing she'll be in charge of. Uh, or be high up in, in the Senate or, you know, trying to bring peace, doing things from a political mm. point of view. So that gives her sense. But but what do you do with Han? Like Han was, Han was always, like you kind of felt that maybe Han was meant to, uh, by the way, uh, for, for everyone listening to this, uh, we are recording this podcast via <laughs> Skype. And was that your wife that yes. just walked past in the background? Yes. You didn't flinch. And I just saw, this is, sorry, I'm going off on a tangent here. I just saw a trailer for the new Paranormal Activity movie last night <laughs> and that scared the fuck out of me because I just watched her walk in and you didn't flinch and I watched her walk towards you and while I'm talking, I'm thinking, Mark's about to get stabbed. <laughs> like he's about to get possessed by Satan. But... I think she just brought you a snack. Is that correct? Correct. The very excellent Mandarin. Oh, well played. That's uh, the <laughs> paranormal activity goes citrus. So <laughs> <laughs> Paranormal activity anyway, seven, little we're looking after your vitamin C. Yeah, 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 vitamin C attacks. Oh, I just don't know how it happened. One minute I wasn't well and then we went moved into this house. We found a video and suddenly I don't get colds anymore. No, uh, no, the lesser-known paranormal activity. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, so you kind of feel like, you know, there was always that rumour that Harrison Ford wanted Han Solo killed off mm. at the end of Return of the Jedi. And, uh, you know, you could kind of, I, I can understand why George Lucas didn't want to do that, but I can also understand as a character arc 
how that would have worked. But mm. it, but he survived, so it looks like uh, his kids will be involved. So I kind of don't know what you do with Han Solo because Han Solo is kind of cool because he was perpetually young and and he was always bucking authority. Yes. Do you really want to see him? You know, like I, I don't know if I I'm really into an older man disagreeing with his wife who's working in the Senate. You know, it, it, it just doesn't feel, you know, like if I want to be bored by politics, I'll watch Australian politics. So anyway, so this is this is my theory is that uh, it looks like that uh, one of the young kids is going to be uh, delving into the dark side and there's a rumour that it will be Han, one of Han and Leia's children. Mm. And uh, we've already seen that great bit in the trailer where Han and Chewie come back. It looks like they're back on the Millennium Falcon. So what you can do is, and this is also taking into account in the real world, it looks like Harrison Ford's a bit cantankerous and probably wouldn't want to sign up for three <laughs> movies. Yes. So they may have gotten him back for one and the idea is, is that you know, maybe Chewie and Han have to go in and save their kid against these new stormtrooper types and then yeah. they get into a position where, uh, you know, the kid and a couple of others need to run to safety and Han and Chewie decide that they're going to hold the fort and, you know, keep them at bay until they can get the Falcon ready to go. And I like the idea of Han telling Chewie, quickly, you go and I'll just do this one last thing and then I'll be right behind you. And as Chewie runs off, he closes like a door that goes down and he locks it. And then you sort of see Chewie realising what Han's doing and banging against the door, giving it the Wookiee scream. And then you just see Han go down, but in a blaze of glory, like taking out, you know, Mm. know, like there's 500 stormtroopers and he takes out 475 and they only, they only get him at the end. Like it's a real kind of, hero's death kind of thing and so that would then as a storytelling mechanism that would give uh like first of all it would be hard to watch Mm. like it would like immediately you get some proper emotion secondly it also gives it a storytelling uh push forward because now you can have you know the kid feeling like they have to live up to uh, you know, the sacrifice mm-hmm. that Han made, it makes it personal and it, and it raises the stakes as well to kill off one of the most beloved characters. And don't get me wrong, that would be really sad and I'm, I'm not saying I'm not necessarily <laughs> wanting it to happen, but I kind of feel like it would be, it would just give this whole new storyline a real forward momentum. Mm. And reflecting uh, the death of Ben Kenobi at the end of Episode Four, and, and the, all of right. that build up and to have that mirrored effect, yeah, in, it'd be amazing. Yeah, yeah, it, it, was, it was. You know, I, I think you know, like you could. It's 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 really easy to get stuck into the prequels, and and there's there's numerous reasons for that. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, it was it was kind of a shock. In the like, one of the things I think they get right in the Phantom Menace is taking out Liam Neeson. Yeah, because uh, you know that is actually a surprise. So you, you take out Liam Neeson in the first one, you take out uh, Sir Alec Guinness in the fourth one, and you take out Harrison Ford in the seventh. And it kind of has a Star Wars always when, when it's working at its best, it, it works well on symmetry. Totally, that would be amazing. Such an outcome. Yeah. 
Yeah, and also I'd just like to see Chewie furious just ripping apart, you know, <laughs> every, the next battle he's in, just seeing a Wookiee go mental and just ripping Stormtroopers' <laughs> heads off and punching them through walls because he's furious. Like, I'd be into that as well. And that could also be the oh, thing that would... maybe brings Luke back from, from the wilderness as well when he knows that harm's gone and he has to really step up what he's going to do to fight the... The Dark Lords of the Sith again. Mm. Oh, look, the, the teaser trailers that have come out, and we are expecting. Uh, welcome, by the way, to Malk and Hamo's Star Wars chat. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Don't let Steel Saunders know; he'll be furious that I'm, I'm talking Star Wars with a with another nerd behind his back. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're still my favourite, Steel. Don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> Highly recommended. Um, but yeah. with the two teasers that are out. And uh, I just yeah. rewatched Return of the Jedi with uh, my son, who's ten years old, and he's primed. Right? He said, "Dad, I don't care how we're seeing Star Wars when it comes out. I want to be there with you." And I went, "Son, you're going to be there." Uh, That's it, cute. Oh, it's totally. It's, this is his coming of age. The, the the what happens in the second teaser where you hear Luke narrating it? He talks about uh, the Force is strong. You know, uh, my father has it. I have it. Is a direct lift from Return of the Jedi. Um, yeah. Just an older Luke saying the same. Well, I think that's going to be another great hook in the revelation of how the Force has continued despite there being a very small number of Jedi. Uh, yeah. Well, Luke essentially, but then you know who, who whoever comes to pass out of Lee, Luke and Leah. Sorry, Han and Leah's prodigy. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it might be cool if when Luke comes back, he reveals some people he's been working with. Like it would be cool to have a reveal that mm. maybe. Maybe there's five, you know, that he's been training as well or something, and that would be kind of cool too. Um, you know, uh, the reason I say that is I saw uh, – well, I was flicking through something yesterday actually, and it was uh, Star Wars concept art before mm. it had been made. And in one of the earlier bits of concept art, it's a stormtrooper holding a lightsaber, and lightsabers were going to be much more prevalent and then – uh, Lucas decided, no, 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 only Jedi get to use them. Uh, mm. But uh, there's there's something interesting about, you know, it's, it's, it's an interesting visual, and I wonder if that would be uh, something that, you know, would be, like, it'd be kind of cool to see, you know how Stormtroopers, the first time you saw mm. them, they were terrifying, and yeah. then over time you went, nah, those guys are a little bit useless. <laughs> uh, it would be kind of fun to see a Stormtrooper, you know, you know, maybe maybe a bunch of them find a lightsaber and they say, how hard could this be? And he chops off his own arm and then the other one laughs and trips over and stabs himself in the face. It could be a, could be a gratuitous version of the one who hit his head when he walked and duck under the yes. door. <laughs> oh, so much potential around that. I'm really looking yeah. forward to it. Um, and at this point there is still uh, – I'm very keen to get down to Melbourne, whether or not uh, my son joins me for that. But the uh, if you're a fan – I know that Steele, who runs the Steel Wars podcast, also the excellent I Love Green Guide Letters podcast, is planning a midnight screening where anyone who's interested comes along, sees the film, and then goes straight off to a pub where he will then record with a bunch of other very excellent people, probably Hamo included, their reactions to this this uh, this film. And I suspect it's going to be about 15 minutes of screaming from Steele uh, because he'll just be so full of adrenaline it will not be funny. Yeah, but, you know, like I've seen him get angry about the comics that have been uh, brought out and are considered canon now. So, 
you know, it might be 15 minutes of joy, but it might also be 15 minutes of, I've waited a year for this, and him furious about it as well. But either way, it'll be passionate. Yeah, I know. It's going to be spectacular. So, Hamo, now that we've discussed Star Wars ad nauseum, shall we talk about some TV news? Yeah, sure. Sounds good. Get all your TV news at MalksTVTalk.com. But first, the news. Married at First Sight, Nine's relationship experiment wrapped up last week with three of the four couples staying together until two months later when one more had broken up and then until a year later when another couple had broken up, leaving only Fern Tree Gully couple Alex and Zoe together. Lachlan, who escaped the clutches of Claire, uh, was also announced as a participant in the upcoming season of Farmer Wants a Root. Sorry, Farmer Wants a Wife. <laughs> Perhaps he and that fluffy little farm dog of his may actually find love on TV yet. Oh, Hamo, now you are not a reality TV fan. I do, I do understand that correctly. Yes. Yeah, not not particularly. I, it, you know, when they do it right, it's it's like something like Survivor, which has been around for so long now. But that's mm. uh, well, you know, Survivor was so good it helped inspire a TV series like Lost. So, so you mm. know, that's well put together and it was it was quite compelling. Uh, I have to admit, because I do uh, TV and movie reviews for. Uh, drive at yeah, Mix FM with uh, Lisa and Pete in Perth, I end up seeing a lot more <laughs> than I <laughs> really prefer to. Uh, but I, 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 have, I don't know about this season, but in the past I've had a mild, uh, like, guilty secret that I quite enjoyed the, the auditions mm. for The Voice because I liked... I like the idea of... Because we're so used to having judges sit there and be the be-all and end-all. And then them making a choice and then turning around and not knowing what they're actually getting until they see the person, but then having to sell themselves, I, I thought it was just a really smart way of breaking up that dynamic. And what I also loved is that every time someone turned around and thought, I really want to work with this person, if they saw Ricky Martin turn around, they all just went, ah, well, I'm out of the run now. <laughs> For fuck's sake, Ricky Martin's turned around, you know, <laughs> who I am convinced when he's sitting there listening to the music, is often thinking, I am Ricky Martin. <laughs> <laughs> well, that dynamic has changed a little bit with this season that just started this week because Jessie J has come onto the, the judging team uh, and she oh, is absolutely yeah. mind-fucking mind Delta Goodrum. It is perfect. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. They, 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 can't, they can't work it out. It's, uh, it's pretty funny to watch. Also, Jessie J, you know, the look on her face when she's grooving to the music, you know, you could, it kind of looks a little bit like, are you remembering if you left the <laughs> iron on? Like it's that yes. kind of look. Delta, Delta's got a look on her face as if to say, in a previous life I was a swan. And the Madden brothers have that look on their face as if to say, remember when we didn't have to sell KFC? And mm. Ricky Martin has a look on his face which honestly says, I am Ricky Martin. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Don't yeah, you reckon, and, like, when you watch it, it's like, what is going on in your head? Oh, look, <laughs> at, at some points you would think if you uh, flick over to, to Benji Madden, all you would get is sort of that sound of crickets. Just not very much. <laughs> though, did you watch the... Maybe I'm being unkind, though. Oh, maybe, maybe. But did you watch the first episode on Sunday? Yeah, it was I have funny. Because you know how they... The, you know the... Um, you know when they, uh, they black out the stage mm. so you, the viewers can't see who's singing? And this woman had such a great voice. It yes. was pretty amazing. And uh, 
they turned around quite early and then when the lights came up, she was a he and not just a he, but, you know, kind of a, a kind of nerdy he, mm. like a nerdy, like the kind of guy that would look down at you because your 20-sided dice wasn't a true <laughs> one, like that kind of nerdy. <laughs> and, and, um, and I thought Benji was pretty funny, actually, because he just sat there and just went, yeah, well, when I thought that she had a good voice, I meant he. <laughs> like he just kind of owned the moment and I found it pretty funny, to be honest. Yeah, there was a little bit of backpedalling when uh, the black woman they thought they were hearing became a young white dude. Oh, my Lord. Like, if if any of them could have moonwalked, they would have had Michael Jackson rising <laughs> from his grave and saying, bravo. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We are straight out of here. <laughs> would you would you go on any of that, Hamo, any of the reality stuff, whether it's the last comic standing stuff in the US or, or anything here? No. It's interesting. I uh, I caught up with uh, Limo, who does uh, the project mm-hmm. and does breakfast radio down here. And I was having a chat to him and he he's just spent – and by the way, this sums up uh, what you're asking in that question. But uh, <laughs> for the last six weeks, he's been doing. He and uh, Bridget Decoe were doing a bodybuilding. Yes, competition. I saw this. Right, and so I saw him, and it was all culminating on the final day of doing a doing a show where they would reveal what they'd done. And, and by the way, Limo looked great. He dropped something like eight kilos or something, and. Was looking mm. uh, looking super fit, looking younger too. But anyway, he um, the day before I catch up with him, he just had his chest waxed. I think he'd had his arms waxed, and he had clipped the rest because he said he wasn't going to go through with that bullshit. <laughs> and he was he was going off to have a tan, a spray on tan, and he was going to have to be wearing some ridiculous. Hawthorne brown and gold G string. <laughs> and he looked at me, he said, Oh, what am I doing? And I said, You're doing exactly what I wouldn't, but that's why you own a house in Fitzroy and I'm 42 and have a flatmate. <laughs> like, I get it. I don't judge it. I, uh, I understand why people do it, but, you know, knock on wood, I just can't see myself doing anything like that. Yeah. That's not unreasonable. I completely get that. The only thing that I would probably be fit for is the biggest loser, and I'd be out in the first five minutes because I'd just sit there and look at them. I'm not taking this shit. That's not happening. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not going to put up with, you know, this guy who's mega fit but doesn't understand the joy of sticking one part of a bouncy and the other part of a cheese and onion chew mm. in his mouth at the same time. Go fuck yourself, yeah, buddy. Yeah, damn straight. I don't care who you're married to, Tiffany Hall. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, if you can't enjoy snacks, there's no point in talking to me. Oh, amen, brother. There is still more news we need to talk about, <laughs> Hamo, too. Q&A, mm. the mm. show that causes a huge number of people to hate tweet every Monday night, responded this week oh. to the controversy of the week before by spending most of the night letting the panel get angry about what the ABC did and didn't do as an outcome of that show. Make sense? Neither right. did Q&A. Uh, oh, yeah. Look, I've got to be honest. The I try to avoid social media on a Monday night. It's that the Quanda hashtag is... You know, like, you know what I want to do on a Monday night at this time of the year? I want to deal with important stuff. Like, 
what the fuck just happened at the end of episode two of True Detective? Mm. That's what I want to deal with. I don't have time for my feed being clogged up with, by the way, people that I really like because I obviously <laughs> follow them, but just one liner after one liner about Q&A. I, you know what? This is probably not what a smart person uh, would say or, you know, maybe I'm letting down people who wear glasses, but I don't give a fuck about Q&A. Stand proud. I just don't. Right. I just, every time I've watched it, it's just kind of made me a little bit furious. It's, but for a myriad amount of reasons. And it's, I just don't find it, uh, it just doesn't interest me. Yeah, I have a love-hate relationship with it. Sometimes I really enjoy it and I watch it uh, legitimately to see the panel and who, you know, who they've got on, what they want to say and those mm. sorts of things. I have learnt that the best way to maintain a following is that I don't generally tweet Quanda from my main Twitter account. I've got a special politics Twitter account that comes out every Monday night and gets used for that, um, yeah. which helps minimise the damage not only to my friends who follow me but to me as well because – I'm not saying my opinions are golden. Um, yeah. It's, but it's crazy. I, I have a, a self-imposed embargo on using the C word. Um, I appreciate others happily, you know, whatever. For me, it's like, yep. no, I'm not going to do that. Last night watching Tim Wilson, I nearly broke that embargo. It was about oh, really? to come out in a big way. Oh, it was just the most appalling behavior. And I just. What, <sighs> what was it in particular? At, at earlier in the evening, of course, Kawanda is starting to talk about last week, Zaki Mala, blah, blah, blah. Um, people, yeah. if you're not aware of what that is, there is a, about a million words written on it in the past week, so you'll find it online. Uh, and, and one of the things that our Human Rights Commissioner, Tim Wilson, said was that, uh, you know, it was inappropriate that he was allowed to have this forum to speak and all of those sorts of things. And then about 40 minutes later, just before the end of the episode, he then goes on on a completely different topic. We'd moved on well and truly, and he says something about how people should be allowed to have their opinions and share them as they see fit. Right. And then Tony Jones went to say, well, hang on, Tim, but earlier. And then Tim, with all of the faux outrage he could muster, turned to Tony Jones and went, see, this is exactly what I knew you would do. Come in with some snide remark. Tony Jones hadn't said anything. You'd just been caught out in the middle of your complete backwards bullshit. Yeah. <sighs> Yeah, I, I'm angry enough. Like, I don't need to watch it to continue to be angry. Like, that just, that infuriates me. Like, it's just so, you know, it's, uh, I think, you know, when all the conservatives were pulling out during the day, and uh, I think I wrote on Twitter, actually, you know, will with all the conservatives pulling out, will the Murdoch papers be tomorrow declaring that the ABC only allows small L liberals a voice <laughs> and that's uh you know that's kind of what they do they they yeah. deliberately they they, they they steal the arg that conservatives steal the arguments of uh small L liberals and then manufacture them to represent themselves yeah. such as freedom of speech you know oh you know especially in this country the worst thing you can do like you can be racist towards indigenous people you can show no compassion to people trying to get here from war-torn countries from overseas you can you can you can shit on the poor you can you can be sexist you can be homophobic you can show no empathy whatsoever but in this country, the worst thing, according to Australia, you can do is call out 
a Caucasian man who earns over a hundred thousand dollars a year mm. for not getting it. <laughs> that's the worst thing. It's like no, no, that's right down at the bottom of the list. Yeah. You know, it's like it's it's the same with the AFL. Like I can barely watch the AFL anymore because I can't cope with Caucasian men in suits sitting in booths being paid loads of money getting upset when oh. Adam Goose does a war dance and feeling threatened by it. You've got you've got one of those guys, you know, who the, the violence that he committed on the field, if he had done it in the real world, would be in jail. We've got another dude who, you know, uh, you know, just slept with his best mate's missus mm. and, you know, he has some pretty dark rumours about him. And when I say rumours, uh, facts that... If I probably say them, I'll get sued. But anyway, <laughs> you got you got you got another dude who gets really upset about being called a racist, but he had no problem introducing uh, Sam Newman onto the footy show once when he blacked up because they couldn't get Nicky Winbar. You've got Sam Newman calling out Adam Goods, um, uh, Adam Goods, who's really proud of his culture, and Sam Newman, who obviously isn't proud of his culture. And when I say his culture, I mean his face because he's had so many faces <laughs> he could bounce a twenty-cent piece for a kilometre off it. Like there. <laughs> They're the people getting, oh, I'm so offended. Oh, I've been hurt. Oh, he's had a crack at me. And it's like you, you don't get that right. Like you don't get the right to to declare that little dance, oh, it's a little bit offensive, you know. And, it, and, it, and, it, and unfortunately that's that's a synecdoche of the situation in Australia where, you know, right up the top, you know, you've got mm. these people that are, uh, they they just have no connection with the real world anymore. And uh, did you did you see on? Uh, I only just saw this briefly just before you called, but on Tony Abbott's Facebook page, you know how everyone's doing the rainbow colours yep. in support of uh, gay marriage being uh, legal. His his fa- uh, his big picture is black and grey. <laughs> it's a black and white kind of photo. So that's pretty funny, Tony. <laughs> that's really funny. It's all sorts of, wow. It is, there's all sorts of levels. And and I think (laughs) let's just extend this conversation into the the final bit of news. Hammer, let's pick this one up. Yes. Yes. People listening to this going, fuck, I was really enjoying the talk about about Star Wars, but these assholes are really getting worked up. Don't, don't. Don't make me start about the fucking empire. All right. I fucking had it up to you with the empire. Always fucking suppressing the good people. <laughs> well, the Emperor, in the latest bold move of bastardry by the commercial free-to-air networks, uh, they set their attack lobbyists on the Senate to ensure legislation that would allow SBS to extend their primetime ad cell to 10 minutes was quashed. With $50 million taken from its budget last year, after a promise by the Prime Minister of no cuts to the ABC or SBS, right. and a $20 million hole in the coming years, SBS couldn't be blamed for wanting the government to go back where it came from. This, <laughs> this is, uh, for mine, now it got through the lower house, like that it was an amendment to legislation that uh, the government, to their credit, went, yes, okay, we're behind this. And then it hit the Senate. And Free TV Australia, which supports the, is the lobby group for the commercial free-to-air networks, so 7, 9, 10 plus the regionals, basically when it said, oh, no, that's going to make it harder for us to get advertisers, so we don't need a, a fourth commercial network. Don't do that to us. It's unfair. Yeah, right. Five minutes of extra advertising an hour for six hours a day was going to kill their remit. If that's the case, they're doing TV wrong. Yeah, well, you know. 
that is a fair assumption for a while now. <laughs> it's, uh, you know, it's, uh, uh, it's just depressing, isn't it? It's just really depressing. I hate all of that kind of stuff. And it's, uh, you know, uh, once again, SBS will, uh, you know, someone will write something. There's been quite a bit of good comedy that's come out of um, uh, SBS recently. I, I think it was an article or something mm. where the headline was, uh, I think it was today actually where it was Tony Abbott saying, you know, we only follow America into wars. <laughs> Follow them into allowing gay marriage, and but you know, like uh, once again, these these men in ill-fitting suits in high positions of power. And I'm probably, uh, by the way, I'm being a little bit sexist as well. Some of the um, some of the more conservative of uh, women politicians are just the same. Uh, You know, uh, they're, they're they're easily offended by something that is in a small pocket and they'll do whatever they can to, to stomp on it. And it's really, I don't know, it's really depressing. I actually don't know where where we're going as a country because I also, uh, I, I feel like Labor sold its soul uh, a while back now. And, you know, mm. the, all, all, the, all the stuff behind the scenes and that horrific, like it was brilliant, but that horrific um, uh, doco that was just on. Killing season. Uh, Oh, jeez. Like, you know, like amazing mm. and brilliant but depressing. Mm. And so, you know, also, like I also have a very, um, I don't know, like uh, I have to remember what's going on in the rest of the world because I live in I live in Melbourne. Like, you know, like we voted for Adam <laughs> Pant. <laughs> like, yeah. And so in, in, in Fitzroy and Melbourne and that, you know, you walk around, you talk to like-minded people and you think, oh, maybe, maybe – maybe we're going to get on top of things. And then you go to the rest of uh, the country and, uh, you know, not all over the country, that's unfair, but certain pockets where they'll where they'll drop something. Like, you know, I'll be, you know, you catch up with someone in uh, the richer parts of Sydney and they'll be telling you about how disgusting the ABC is. And then you go out and do a, a gig <laughs> in uh, regional Australia and someone will drop uh, a, a racist truth bomb about, Aboriginal people, and you, and you just sit there going, "Oh, that's right. I live in Narnia." <laughs> <laughs> yes, like it's, it seems it's everything seems pretty good if, if I just stay in the suburb. I'm sure there'll be people listening to that and thinking that it's arrogant, oh. but I don't mean it in an arrogant way. I mean it just in a you know, like it's quite clearly you know we should help people who need help and we should quite clearly be doing our best to fix the environment and, you know, and I, I kind of think the, you know, xenophobia can be can be easily fixed and that's by getting dialogue going and, and discovering that for the most part uh, people just want to yep. be given a fair shake and be treated properly and if, uh, like, I, I've never really under, like, part of the, the depressing aspect of the internet is the fact that rather than suddenly realizing that we could talk to someone from a faraway place who's had a different upbringing to us and finding some common ground, unfortunately it seems like a lot of dickwads have found a way to get in touch with each other and organize marches uh, based on, uh, you know, still not really understanding what's going on on the other side. And it's, uh, uh, you know, it's just depressing. Star Wars is going to be good, I reckon. Like Star Wars, I'm I'm positive. I've got faith in JJ Abrams. <laughs> I've got to try. 
Got to try and bring this back from the edge. Yeah, let's <laughs> let's shake all of that stuff off. The news is done. We we can feel better about ourselves. The news is done. Uh, I, I think yes. this is a great opportunity, Hamo, for us uh, to step into our very special quiz slot we have on Mogs TV Talk podcast, which is called Pick a Box of Potluck. Follow Mulk on Twitter at Mulk's TV Talk. Five big questions right. where uh, we follow on a particular theme, the, the guest's you know, favoured mm-hmm. theme, uh, except that this week, given that when I asked you before the show what are your favourite shows that you'd you know, be happy to answer sort of questions on, you gave me a pretty decent list. Now, I've found a running theme through all of these series, and that is that they have oh, great. They've all completed. Oh, right. Okay, that's interesting. So our, our yeah. five big questions for you. You know, it, yes. was, it, it was hard when you said, what's your favourite uh, TV show? And I guess it's uh, like, you know, that came through and I I forget which one came to mind first. And then a, and then another one popped in. I thought, well, I kind of love that equally. And then and then I just realised it, it kind of depends on, you know, what mood you're in. Mm. Like if you want, you know, if you want, gritty realism like I, I find it difficult to go past the wire but then if you say oh do you want mm-hmm. high octane uh you know like like a like i can't even split tv shows like the shield and breaking bad because i feel like they live in a very similar world of uh you know each episode feels like a gut punch mm. and so and so it's like well, which one do you prefer and it's like i well, if I was watching Breaking Bad, I'd say Breaking Bad. But if I was watching The Shield, I'd say, nah, it's got to be The Shield. So anyway, so it was a I, – I didn't realise how tough a question that would be to to answer simply. So I didn't, and I gave you mm. of opportunities to <laughs> go through it. Well, the good one on this. So every one uh, of these stories, I'll put it that way, have rounded out and have yep. completed as far as TV series goes. Each of the questions, yep. a different television show. And what I want yep. from you, Justin Hamilton, is your answer to these questions. Are you ready? Okay. Question one. In the final episode of The Wire, did the series really end? Oh, right. Yeah. No, well, no. And that was kind of the, the point of it, wasn't mm-hmm. it? It was, it was interesting, especially in that final montage where um, – Oh, McNulty, like one of my favourite characters mm. of all time. And what a what a clusterfuck of a character. <laughs> but, uh, you know, there was that moment in that, that montage and, it's, and it was always, I think apart from one other moment in the first season, the only time music uh, was used in that way was to finish each season because every time music was used elsewhere, it was always sourced. It was always coming from a radio or yeah. someone was playing decks or stuff like that. But um, that last one, it was... You know, it was it was interesting because we'd seen characters uh, not only proving that the story would go on, but characters developed into taking on new roles. And it was like, um, as an example, I think it was uh, I can't think of her name. Is it Kimmy? With Detective Kimmy, who was she was yeah, the one that called yeah. McNulty out on what he was doing. Uh, you saw her teaming up with Bunk. And she was starting to exhibit some McNulty-isms, you yeah. know, like she was she was going to question authority. And uh, uh, I'm drawing blanks on the name, but the young African-American oh. kid who he was going, it looked like he was going to go straight, but he realised that he just worked better on the street. It looked like he was going to be the new Avon Barksdale. And, you know, the, the young <laughs> boy, Michael, who was that really nice kid, it looked like he was yeah. going to be the new Omar 
And so, and so the, the the point of the wire was that it it doesn't end, and it's an ongoing situation that needs to be dealt with, and and new people would fill in roles and. And that's what I think. That's what's interesting about the last look that you see, which is on McNulty, which is he doesn't really know where he's going to fit in because he's no longer with the police force, and uh, he also he, he's kind of been a clusterfuck. But he also is very passionate, and it's, it's an mm. interesting look on his face where it's like I don't know what is going to happen for me in the future. And uh, but yeah, that's a, a very long-winded way of saying uh, nothing ever ends, and it. Uh, uh, you know, it just keeps on keeping on. It's a great ending, though, don't you? Think? Oh, excellent! And by the way, you are correct. But no, it's a, a cracking ending. I really, really dug uh, the wire. I thought it was stunning television. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's one of those ones that I've been thinking about going back to uh, because I I binged watched it when I when I had it. I, I don't binge watch anymore. I uh, if I really like a series. I try to watch maybe two episodes at a time and give myself time to think about it. I think I think binge watching a it's harder to remember what happens because you watch it all at once, yeah. so you can't quite remember what's happened during the season. But also, like one of the one of the great joys of watching the TV series Lost was having a week of theories and then waiting to see if any of your oh. theories were right. Uh, and you know, same same with Mad Men, same with Breaking yeah. Bad. So I so I limit myself to two episodes at a time, and then I try to give it a few days before I. That, I'm finally watching Friday Night Lights, oh, and I'm uh, about four episodes. Oh yeah, fantastic! If you've got dad issues, am I right? And uh, oh, I can't. Every episode, it's like oh, I, oh, I just about got through this episode without crying, and then Coach Taylor does something. You go, oh, that's a dad. That's a man right there. Um, <laughs> so you know, uh, so I'm about four episodes into season two, and I could easily just keep watching that and and achieve nothing for a week. But I'm enjoying it so much. I'll watch a couple of episodes and then sit on it for a while and have a nice think about what's going to come next. Yeah, well, Friday night uh, is date night for me and and my lovely wife, and I right. have smashed through House of Cards as soon as it comes out. Now, given that Netflix. Uh, is only uh, a reasonably new thing to Australia, and, and my lovely wife hasn't had a chance to see it. We've been spending yeah. Friday nights doing one or two episodes of House of Cards together, uh, and we've just got into yeah. season two now. So we've had, uh, you know, the big build-up where he becomes vice president at the end of season one. Oh yeah, the, the start of season two where Zoe gets thrown. Uh, sorry, yeah, start of season two, Zoe gets thrown under the train, uh, and we've yep. just started to get into that. Uh, um, relationship that he's trying to blow apart between uh, uh, Garrett and um, uh, oh, yes. characters, a rich millionaire guy. Uh, that all, yeah. all of the yeah. president and the rich millionaire, his his mentor, and and where I'm loving it, I'm picking up so much stuff out of just watching a couple of episodes and 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 mulling over it, going, "Oh, that's right, this happened. Oh, that person did this." Yeah. And I have to hold back and go, yeah. "Oh, and in the future, they well, no, no, I can't say that. That'll give away that big thing." Or <laughs> yes, so yeah, good. That's the hard part. The, the the final image of season two is my favourite moment in all three seasons oh. of House of Cards. Do you remember what yeah, it is? The tap on the desk. Oh, it's the best. <laughs> it's the best. And that's what I really missed about season three. And apologies if you haven't heard the scene House of Cards season three. Get on it. But I'm about to spoil something. That in season three, yeah. that he doesn't talk to us. I think at all once. You know, there was a gap in season two where he kind of went away and then he came back and said, you thought I'd forgotten you. And 
and, and those sorts of things. Oh, that's the first episode. Yeah. He does a little bit, but it's not I, – I, I like that. Uh, I know some people hate that part, but a, I enjoyed the original series from the UK, so I enjoyed it there. But also there's there's something a little bit mm. camp about House of Cards, and I I enjoy that aspect of it, and I think it kind of comes to the fore when he uh, when he gives it a little bit of uh, to-the-camera work. It's a fun thing to do with mm. friends who are House of Cards fans. So sometimes I'll be sitting yep. there with my friends and, uh, you know, you'll be saying, uh, uh, you know, maybe having lunch. And just before they order, I'll look at the wall and say, we're hmm. about to find out if he's going to have the pastor or he's going to have the meat. Let's find out if he's a wolf or a dog. <laughs> then you just go back <laughs> to talking to your friends. It's really funny if they watch House of Cards and it's even funnier if they don't. <laughs> I can imagine. No, it's it's <laughs> delightful. I'm really looking forward to season four and what that's going to bring. And, and I I suspect we're going to get a little bit more of Francis, even just knowing looks, right? When he was he would march yeah. into the 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 Oval Office before he became president and and walking in and hearing comments and stuff, and just look at the camera like I'm not going to take any shit in this situation. Uh, just so oh, yeah, good, yeah. so good, so good. Yeah. yeah. Question two. This is world's longest podcast. Question two. <laughs> Sorry, no, 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 no. this I'll, is great. I'll try and be a bit more brief. Don't. This. It's fine. In the final episode of the Shield, did Vic Mackey yep. really get his comeuppance? Well, yeah. As as much as, well, you know, like for. And by the way, one of the most underrated TV shows of all time, and the fact that oh, everything God, that yes. happens at the end of the pilot has. Uh, an effect on the very final mm. scene of season seven yeah. uh, is is phenomenal. And uh, Michael Chiklis's performance is one of the greatest uh, TV performances going. Uh, yeah, he you know he's had everything taken from him, he, he, and and all the all the moralizing he used to do, and 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 justifications for his terrible terrible poor behaviour, and you know he. He ruined friendships. Mm. Uh, you know, some of his friends died through his actions. He, one of the hardest scenes is when he sells out Kenny. Is it Kenny who's the last one who's standing by? Lenny. Him? It is Kenny. Is it Lenny? Lenny. Lenny. Selling out Lenny. Uh, oh, was it Lenny? I can't remember. Anyway, the last one that he sells out is phenomenal. Like just sickening. Yeah, he's lost all his respect. And his family's been taken away from him. And when you see that moment where he's stuck in that office and everyone's going to kind of know who he is and what he's mm. done, and he is ostracised, like he is completely ostracised from being able to wield the kind of power that that dude really enjoyed. And when he hears yeah. that police car alarm and he heads off into the night, like I think he, I think he gets like I think death would have been too easy for that character. Like he, he's left in limbo. But what I love about that ending is you end up sitting there and think, is what's he going to do next? Because he can't let it go. Yes, he he will he will do something. Yeah, he's. I don't know what it is. He's not a sit on his hands kind of guy, right? He he pulled his gun out of his drawer and he was gone, and it wasn't to go <laughs> home. Oh no! And I, you know, I think. I think he. I think he got what he deserved, and I think he was going to get a little bit extra, as the you know 
after that final scene. And it was pretty amazing. It's a gobsmacking series. Yeah, agreed entirely, people. Go and get – you can buy it at JB Hi-Fi. All seven seasons of The Shield. And if you are not – And really cheap yes, too. If you're not hooked by the end of that pilot, as Hamo said, because it, it does play out across the entire series. Uh, it's phenomenal. Oh, yeah. oh so good. The, the Glenn Close season is phenomenal too. Yes. Yeah, the, she yeah. comes in as the captain and is you know, trying to cl- – yeah, so good. T- TV critic uh, Alan Seppenwall, who uh, if anyone listening to this hasn't read any of his stuff, he's, I, I can't recommend him highly enough. Declan Fay from The Sweetest Plum put me on to him. And uh, he said something in his book, uh, the, the Revolution Will Be Televised, and he said something that I agreed with wholeheartedly, which was uh, out of all the series that he talks about, The Shield is the series that – finishes like its best season is the final season. And mm. I also agree with him. Like he rates the final episode of The Shield higher than the final episode of Breaking Bad, which was great. That's not denigrating Breaking yeah, Bad. No. But that final episode of The Shield is, you know, well, I think the best ending to any series is Six Feet Under. But as a whole episode, the final episode of The Shield just might be uh, the champ. Yeah, it's a it's a bit of a cracker. Jump on board to the shield. Please. Oh my god! Yeah, two from two. Hammer, you're killing it. Question three. <laughs> yep. In the final episode of season one of True Detective, oh yeah, did Rust and Marty catch the bad guy? Oh well, that's yeah. See now, uh, you know, it was it was really hip to love True Detective, and then it was really hip to hate True Detective. And it was one of the criticisms of it is that the ending is it hinted at so much. And then according to people, it was reduced to, yeah, they're just kind of, you know, chasing a monster, you know, like a bad dude. And I I think that kind of misses the point to the ending. Like for me, uh, A, in answer to your question, they don't. They, They catch someone who was... They, they, they catch the instrument. Yes. I come, I come from, you know, they, they don't catch. So I come from, uh, originally I come from Adelaide and, uh, you know, Adelaide had the the family murders in the 80s, mm. uh, late 80s, early 90s, which were, uh, oh, and were going through in the 70s. And the, and the story is, is that, uh, you know, it was judges and, pol- uh, uh, you know, high-end police and lawyers who were mixed up in this uh syndicate I guess where they would abduct uh usually young men and do terrible things to them and make and make stuff movies and in the end they uh they caught one person uh, Bevan Spencer von Ein but it's it's kind of known throughout Adelaide that he was kind of given up as a sacrificial lamb and the, wow. the rumors of him in Yatla jail is living it up big so what I saw like I with that in mind that at the end, they, they, you know, they catch they catch the dude who was doing things, but they they weren't going to get to the others were already covering their tracks, and they were already you know closing the doors so that you know this guy can be given up, but you're you're not going to get to the people who were making the videos yeah. and and uh, you know doing the terrible things, and I, I also see that ending. For you know, like it's a hyper real show. There's there's so many moments where, well, for starters, they're 
unreliable narrators, you know, like they're mm. always telling the story from their perspective. Well, for those first five or six episodes, it's always from their perspective and sometimes the words don't match up with the images yeah. and sometimes, you know, the stories don't quite match up, even the ones that they're telling where they're not trying to uh, cover anything up. And also Michelle Monaghan, when she comes in, she's also an unreliable narrator mm. in the end. Uh, so, and there's all these moments like, you know, when Rust is off his head on gear, rolling with the, with the, and it's such a, he's in the car and he's sweating and he's with those dudes and you're kind of looking at it and that looks hyper real as well. And I, the ending to me isn't just about catching the bad guy. I think that's simplifying Mm -hmm. it. I think because the series is about two alpha males, the, intellectual versus the emotional and how they butt up against one another. I see the ending as what they're chasing is not just the bad guy, but when they go into that labyrinth, what they're doing is they're going into their own psyches. And of course it's Rust who goes in there first. It's a, it, the whole thing's a metaphor. He's chasing the thing that's kept him going all this time. And in the end he needs they need each other to pull themselves out. And what that is saying to us is it's important to be intellectual and emotional. And I think that's, and you know, when you get to, when you get to the end, uh, the, the great scene with Woody Harrelson and his ex-wife mm. and kids coming in and him bursting into tears to me is the intellectual uh, realization of all the terrible things he'd done that he'd been able to justify emotionally and rust who has always been about the intellect and has suddenly come to feel that maybe there is more to life than what he's been prepared to allow or admit to. Uh, he's kind of tapped into himself emotionally and, and it's not just about finding each other and realizing that they kind of needed each other, but also realizing what the other one brought that they needed in themselves. Yeah. They, they certainly rubbed off on each other, didn't they? Rustin and Mark oh, way more yeah. than I think they expected to, or even accept when we're seeing that, uh, the interviews that hark back to the time. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, I'm a, I'm a big fan, and so you know, I know I know it was cool to love it, and that, and I know it's now cool not to love it. And uh, you know, I'm um, I'm Schrodinger's cat. I'm right in the middle, loving it. <laughs> you, you're into season two. I'm in boots and all. I am enjoying it, but I won't give anything away because it's mm, still still a, yeah pretty early. fresh. I I think there is. There's one flaw in the series for me so far, and it's Vince Vaughn. Yeah, I think he's struggling. Um, I think he's I think he's been everyone's favourite bro for too long, yeah. and I think if you took out Vince Vaughn and put in Vincent D'Onofrio oh, doing a, a scaled down version of Wilson Fisk from Daredevil, I think it would be right on track. Yeah, that wow, wow, yes, that would be amazing. I will offer though, I've been lucky enough to see the first three that there's, oh, some, right, yeah. there's some business, and this doesn't give anything away, some business that happens in the third episode that I think yeah. you see yeah. Vaughn kind of come in, his character comes into his own a little bit and uh, the, okay. the bro thing gets sh- sh- shedded and there's a desperation yeah. that comes to pass. Okay. Well, I, I'm, by the way, I, I, I say that with the caveat that we're two episodes mm. in and, you know, it might, you know, like, Vince Vaughn hasn't really made anything like this in a long time. And, yeah. And so, you know, it might be taking a oh, while to get the muscles hang on, man. working again. He made the internship. Oh, right. Yeah, sorry. 
sorry. Well, apart from that, he hasn't been uh, working <laughs> on anything for like this for a while. But, um, but yeah, you know, like I, I thought his I thought his monologue at the start of the second was mm. I thought it was a bit flat in its delivery, to be honest. And there was a great line from the first one that I thought he swallowed a bit, which was, uh, I'm paraphrasing, but it was the line about, you know, uh, you should never eat when you want to, especially when you're hungry. And I, I think I th- one of the things I get frustrated with True Detective is sometimes people say, oh, that's a bit of a trope or that's a little bit on the nose. And it's like, yeah, it's the series is called True Detective. It's, it's meant to be mm. dealing with tropes and be a bit noir. But I think that also means that sometimes lines need to be delivered in a in a slightly kind of knowing way. Yeah. And I think Colin Farrell has been a gun. Like there's that great moment with him and Rachel McAdams where and he delivers the line perfectly. You know the one where he's they're in the car and he says, Yeah, well I support feminism by having yes. severe body issues and he's trying to make her laugh and she gives him nothing. And it's like such a great scene between the two of them. But he delivers it in a slightly knowing way anyway but uh, by the way i'm still both feet in and uh i'm still really enjoying Mm, completely agree well correct three from three question four in the final episode of lost was it that the entire cast were in a form of purgatory no well no no it's one of my it's one of my great frustrations with the whole uh i of course, when you talk to people, if they say, I got to the end and I hated it, it's like, oh, well, there's nothing you can do mm. about that. But one of my great frustrations is when I say, oh, that's a shame. I really enjoyed it. Why Why did you hate it? And they say, oh, well, they were dead the whole time. And it's like, that didn't Yeah, no, happen. they weren't. That didn't happen. So for so what happened was at the end, like, so, you know, the first three seasons we had flashbacks, then we had mm-hmm. the flash forward, then we had the skipping through time. Uh, mm-hmm. And then the last one is if you went through all of the last season and edited out the bits from the sideways world and then placed all the bits that were edited out into order and put them at, after when Jack's eye closes, that's that's mm. an epilogue. That's, that's yes. an epilogue. So what happened was at some point every character in the series dies, whether yeah. on the island or some of the ones that got off the island went and lived lives and when they died from old age or anaphylactic shock yeah. or tripping off a curb and hitting their head, whatever, when they died, they all went to a place where they could find one another because what happened on the island was the defining moments in their lives and then by finding each other and reconciling that life, they could then move on. Yeah. So they weren't in purgatory the whole time. Mm. It was that sideways world was uh, that was that was the epilogue, and that's the best way to sort of describe it. Yep. I know. I, I agree. Correct. It's we're writing wrongs here, Hamo. This is excellent. <laughs> <laughs> no. Well, I'm fine. Like, of, of course you're fine if someone doesn't like something. I mean, you just go, oh, yeah, yeah. No, that's pretty cool. But but I, I get frustrated when – and also, by the way, it's not even it's not even people not getting it. Uh, it's more a case of people being adamant that it was shit house. <laughs> and then when you explain it to them, like like if I if I said to you, you know, 
oh, you know, like the original Star Wars trilogy was bullshit, mate. Like I wanted Leia to hook up with Luke. Like what the fuck was that? And if you said to me, did you not realise like they were brother and sister and that would have been weird and it's better that she's with Han, what I should say at that point is, oh, I didn't realise that. But I feel like when I point things out to, you know, if it was the equivalent, when you point the ending out to lost people, so no, it's still fucking stupid. It's like you didn't get mm. it. You didn't get it. And, and it's all <laughs> and right. Be the same. It's all right not to get stuff. Oh yeah, I don't get stuff all the time. You know, I, but uh, <laughs> you know, I'm more than I'm more than happy to say to someone, "What the fuck did that mean?" Or you know, getting online and looking shit up. You know, mm. um, and you know, some people don't want to do that for entertainment. But anyway. I also feel like that Damon Lindelof is a pretty cracking, like he's had some misfires, but when I've seen interviews with him, he seems like a really nice guy. And I, and I think he's been a real lesson in how self-deprecating you can be online because if you're too self-deprecating, people don't respect you for it and they just pile on more shit. And I have mm. seen him in interviews where people have said, oh, I can't believe they were dead all along to his face and him sitting there going, but they weren't. That's, that's not what happened and having to explain it and sometimes to really full-on nerdy hosts of a, of a, of a podcast mm. or a, of a, a YouTube show. And I, I would just like to think that if I got something wrong, I would be able to step back and go, oh, fuck, sorry, you know what? I need to rewatch that yep. and get back to you because yes. I obviously did not get that. Yeah, totally. What? And I also think, while I'm on on a bit of a Lindelof rant, <laughs> yes. I think The Leftovers was amazing. I think The Leftovers is one of the great lost series. Uh, pardon the mild pun, <laughs> but if you if you didn't see The Leftovers, I thought it was exquisite TV, and I'm really excited to see what they're going to do with the second season that's coming. Yeah, up. that's one that I haven't got into, and I, I, it's it's banked up. There's a bunch oh. of television that I just go that is to get to shortly. Mate, it's full on. Like it's really full on. But it's. Uh, I, I thought it was. I thought it was excellent. And I have. I have been. You know. I've been a little bit confused as to why. Why are more people talking about this or watching it? But I. I thought it was pretty amazing. Yeah, bring it on. I, it, to the same end, I'm super excited about Glitch, the new uh, Patrick Bramall. Oh yeah, that's coming to ABC yeah. Thursday week yeah. podcast yeah. time. I yeah. again been lucky enough to see the first three so far, and I just was gobsmacked at how good the performances are yeah. uh, and how left of centre, if that's indeed possible for an ABC thing, uh, it, it is yeah. for the kind of drama it is. It's incredible. Yeah, I've, uh, I was talking to someone last night who said that they've seen the first episode and said it was pretty amazing and I'm, uh, I'm pretty pumped for it. To yeah, be it's, it's boots and all. It is good, good stuff. <laughs> boots and all. That's good. Question five. In, it's so far four from five, Hammer. You are the leader in Pick a Box of Potluck. No one has got this far. Right. Question five. In the final episode of Mad Men, did Don Draper yes. make the Coke commercial? Yeah, without a doubt. He uh, he went off and he, you know, he was struggling. And I, I, I have been invested with Don right from mm-hmm. the word go. And lots of people say to me, how can you like, how can you like Don Draper? And Gosh. I'm like, well, I just feel like he was, well, I feel like he was such a well-written character. Like he, he yeah. did do terrible things. I'm not saying that he didn't do terrible things, but he also did. Like he was, there was a dichotomy to him that that made him compelling. Like yeah. in in that sense that you know, like he was he was horrible uh, to some women. Uh, you know that he was with physically and emotionally, but then he gave Betty 
uh, he gave Peggy the, the you know the the step up mm. into the business when no one else would take her seriously, and you know he really respected her, and you know they'd have their tater tates, but you know one of my favourite scenes from the whole series is after all the complex issues that those characters have gone through together when they go to do that pitch and they slow dance to my way and then he gets her to make the pitch and she gets to she gets the big Don Draper moment, you know. Uh, also when Joan is prepared to sleep with that guy so they'll get the Jaguar contract, Don's the only person who goes to her place and says, please don't do this, you know. So, so he did yes. do terrible things but he also did those things and so he was... He was a very. I found him to be a very interesting character, and I think, I think, John Hamm's inability to win one Emmy for that performance is, is you know, like, like Brian Cranston mm-hmm. is amazing as Walter White. I'm not taking anything away from his performance or Kevin Spacey in House of Cards or any of those guys, but John Hamm in Mad Men never got anything really flashy. To do there was no flashy performance, but it was it was all internal, and I think it's uh, I think it's been vastly underrated. And so what happens at the end is he goes he goes away, and you don't know like you don't know if he's gonna make it back. He has that weird phone call mm. with Peggy, but the interesting thing is like when Stan comes in, Stan throughout the series and definitely towards the end, he was kind of a truth sayer. Like he was a little bit removed from the main characters and he would often say very truthful things about what was going on. And when Peggy is worried about Don, he he pretty much just says what's going to happen, which is, ah, he'll be fine. He'll (laughs) be back. You know, he'll be back and he's a survivor and Don is a survivor. So he goes, so he meets that girl because you see, there's a girl who's dressed like one of the girls in the adverts, which is a visual sign for us. And when Don is becoming at one with the universe and um and ah uh, out there in California, which has always been the place where he goes spiritually to uh, reinvigorate himself mm. and reinvent himself, you just know that after he he'll go back and Jane and then like the um, McCann Erickson was so desperate to have him, mm. that he would walk in and they would try to get fiery and he'd just say, gentlemen, here's your coke pitch. And they'd all just go, Don, it's 11 a.m., let's have a martini. And he'd be back on track. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and, and, you know, which is, uh, which uh, it was uh, it was interesting because, uh, because I was so invested in Mad Men. Like I feel, for, for me, Mad Men was a, like almost a perfect series there was there were very few episodes that I was a bit bored by I loved it so much Mm. and there was something um and it is one of my all-time favorites and I you know you know when you're invested in a series there's there's things that you kind of want to have happen and it doesn't mean Mm -hmm. you're married to them but you, you want them to happen like as an example uh in the end of Lost when you had Desmond looking like he was flashing back and forth between the different universes, I was thinking it was going to, because there'd been Watchmen 
Allusions, you know, the, the graphic novel by Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons. I was wondering if he'd go all Dr. Manhattan. And I thought there might have been two separate universes that he was going to bring together to fix. And that didn't play out like that. And, but that was fine. Um, yeah. and so I was kind of, I was kind of invested in the idea that the final episode of Mad Men. Well, like the second to last episode, you would have seen Don taking off the tie, taking off the shirt and throwing them out the back of a red convertible as he drove to California, leaving that life behind. And then I would have, uh, this is how I would have ended it. The last episode would have been set in the 80s and it's a grown-up Sally Draper trying mm. to come and find her dad and, you know, everything that would go from there. But having said that, uh I thought the ending, there was a real, I, I don't know, I thought the ending was kind of quite subtle and, like, people have a go at Matthew Weiner and say he beats you over the head with stuff, uh, with imagery and stuff like that, but I don't, I don't know. I don't, like, sometimes he, he would make stuff a little bit obvious, uh, which is good for idiots like me to be able to pick up on stuff, and I thought that there weren't any explosions and there weren't any comeuppances and once again it was a little bit closer to the wire wasn't it in the sense that you know things are just going to keep on keeping on and and I guess what Don comes to at the end is a level of comfort that you know what I'm an advert guy and Mm. I'm really good at it and I'm I'm pretty happy to be that guy and maybe he comes to a, a you know hopefully a, 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 a sense of internal peace or when he goes back, you know, maybe he'll be a better guy. I don't know if he'll be 100% a better guy. You know, he's got a lot of work to do with Sally Draper and, uh, <laughs> and the poor boys. So, but, um, you know, uh, I, I thought it, I think he definitely made that advert and I think uh, uh, I thought it was a pretty glorious ending even if it did take me. It probably took, because I was so invested, it took me uh, – took me about a week of constantly thinking about it to kind of know where I stood with it, but I did love it. It had the right amount of finality about it, didn't it? It wasn't like everything's wrapped up yeah. in a neat little bow. I mean, Peggy strides into McCann and, and looks like she's got her opportunity, but it's it's the proposal that shakes her more than anything uh, after yeah. the way that she had been messed around by blokes. There's Roger uh, ultimately realising that he'd met his match in Megan's uh, mother, and that that was who he needed to be with, uh, come hell yeah. or high water. And and Betty uh, getting the cancer diagnosis, like, and just, no, no. Oh, I know. So brutal. Oh, so brutal. And, uh, you know, just as she was finding what she wanted to do, and uh, I think there is, you know, entertainment should, A, always be entertaining, but, B, if you're really invested in the, in entertainment and it's, and it's and the best type of entertainment, whether it's books or TV or movies or music, you can learn lessons from it. And I think uh, I feel like the real lesson learned from the end of uh, Bad Ben was actually Betty's uh, story arc, which was, you know, if you, if you want to do something, like, get onto it because you never know when that opportunity will be taken away from you. And I always thought Betty was a mm. uh, – I feel like there was a – a, a level of um, discord with her character that was unfair and uh, I, I found that to be, I found her, the end of her story to be incredibly moving and that, that scene where she goes in and talks to Sally about how she's going to get everything ready and that she's going to have to rely on selling, you know, all the men that she's been with are all kind of useless was uh, probably the finest acting that January Jones did and uh, mm. also really kind of brought home what was going on with that character. 
Yeah. Oh, and Joan and Joan having her own yes. business. I think it was, you know, there was a part of you that wanted to see, oh, my God, maybe Peggy and Joan could work together. But that would have been like I think Matthew Weiner gave us Stan and Peggy coming together. as a. That felt like a here's something that you would like to have happen. You can have that. Uh, I think that would have been too much. I like the idea that Joan's using both her last names and she's got her own business and, you know, maybe, you know, maybe Joan would be in Holly. Like if it was now, Joan would be one of those older grand dames of Hollywood mm. who has made and broken careers <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's spoken, you know, in hushed tones. Yes. Oh, goodness. So good. So good. So good. So good. Well, hello. Congratulations, first of all. Five out of five. That's a big, that's a gold standard set for pick a box of potluck. So well done there. <laughs> Thank you. It, it just goes to show that I, uh, I'm i not married. I don't have any kids <laughs> and I spend a lot of time thinking about this stuff. <laughs> it's part of the reason that I love you, man. Uh, the second thing, however, <laughs> is that we are, we are plumb out of time. So are you okay if we reconvene uh, in the future where we get to hear more of the Justin Hamilton story? Oh, yeah, sure. No problem at all. Let's do something uh, in, the, in the second half of the year. We are actually on, on the final day of the first half of the year, so let's uh, reconvene in, uh, towards the end. That would be spectacular. We may even even uh, get to be able to do it in person, which would be wonderful. Oh, yeah. Mulks TV Talk, the podcast. How do people find you on the internet? Uh, you can find me on Twitter, at uh, justinhamilton underscore. Uh, you can go to my website, justinhamilton.com.au. And if you're interested in the, the podcast, uh, Can You Take This Photo, please uh, can uh, be found at uh, canyoutakethisphoto.com or on iTunes. Unfortunately, Helia and I have become so busy, we haven't been able to get the movie mm. one going. But uh, Adam Richard and I have the Shelf podcast, which is a little bit sporadic. But uh, there's been some live ones that were recorded during the comedy festival that people might enjoy uh, having a listen to for free. I completely, completely forgot the shelf cast, people. That is another excellent comedy podcast if you want to get on it. And uh, uh, Hamo and Adam Richard together is a delight, let alone anybody else that they drag into the frame. <laughs> uh, it's, it continues to be one of my goals to get down and see a season of the shelf uh, live in person somehow. I don't know how that's going to happen, but uh, I think I may have to sacrifice my firstborn son to do it. Eh, whatever, he'll get to see Star Wars and then he dies. Right, come on. Like, you know, swings and roundabouts. <laughs> <laughs> it's win-win for someone. Yeah, exactly. Well, Hamo, thank you for joining us this week and thank you everyone else for joining us this week on Mulks TV Talk, the podcast. Follow me on Twitter at Mulks TV Talk. Find me on Facebook and Instagram at thosethings.com slash Mulks TV Talk. New episodes are out Tuesday, so make sure you subscribe via iTunes or your favourite podcasting app, and please do leave a sweet review. Tune in next week when you'll hear Justin Hamilton say... G'day, folks. How's it going? Good night. <laughs>